Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Wow. It's a packed house in here. It is so fun. Kids, if you are in the room still, head on over with Pastor Monica. You guys are about to have a whole bunch more fun. Not as much fun as you're going to have in here, but it'll be still a few fun regardless. But what I wish Riley would have polled when he polled the audience is how many of you are cheering for the Eagles? Yes. How many of you are cheering for the Chiefs? Yes. But how many Chiefs fans are cheering for the Chiefs because you don't want to cheer for the Eagles? Yeah. Like, like no judgment either which way. I just think when you get decimated by a team, as a loyal, avid Vikings fan, it just leaves a sour taste in your mouth. And so where, whoever you cheer for today, just know you're in a good spot here because regardless, the Vikes aren't playing today. And maybe one day they will, but they're not playing today. But to bring a little bit of purple into this service, I know it's very red and very green. Um, I had to kind of just share with you one of my wins, one of the kind of notable parts of 2022 that I was like really excited about. Um, And it was something that I can't take credit for. It was one of those things where I was thankful to have some really good friends who got blessed with a really cool opportunity. And they're like, hey, do you want to jump in on this? And I was like, "Uh, hello, yes. And so I want to show you, it's a little five second clip, but I want to show you one of the highlights of my entire NFL football season this year. Well, we'll play it again because the first part's kind of critical. You don't care about me. And with that, I got to take a picture with Kirk. And I got to tell you, I did not miss my calling in life because Kirk is tiny, okay? When you're watching. An NFL game, you look at Kirk and he just gets decimated by these guys. And you're like, okay, he's tiny. Look at me. I'm in his armpit. <laughs> and do you know what was the most dis- like disappointing part? Greg Joseph, our kicker, was there too. And he was in a t-shirt. And I'm like, you're huge, dude. Like, you are absolutely massive. Like, I'm convinced he could literally take me and go, and, and it, it's over. The kicker. The kicker. He looks like me on a good day. Relative to the rest of his comrades, okay? And I got to tell you, the part that made me most nervous about this whole interaction, I was feeling good about it. I was like, I'm going to catch a pass from Kirk Cousins. This is going to be sweet. And I was like all amped up for it. I played catch. Like I grew up playing sports. I wasn't worried about it until just before I went, there was a little five-year-old kid. I kid you not. He was like down here. He lines up next to Kirk and like runs an amazing route and like just makes a perfect catch and hits the gritty as soon as he's done. And I'm like, okay, now you have this weird 27-year-old who's lining up in the slot. Okay, that's weird after a five-year-old. He made that catch look amazing. So if I drop this, I look like the biggest loser in the entire Minnesota state. And I am for sure not hitting the gritty if I catch this pass. It was amazing. Like this little kid was just like going at it. Like everyone's cheering for it. And it's like, all right, guys, my turn. And no one clapped for me when I caught my pass. (laughs) And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what? But regardless, it was, uh, I got to meet Kirk Cousins, and I'm convinced that I will never be in the NFL ever again. So it was fun. Um, If you have hate on Kirk Cousins, you probably could find it in that video because it was just a little bit underthrown, but that's neither here nor there. 
but I caught it, so just going to put that out there. What does this have to do with anything? Nothing really. I just had to brag on Super Bowl Sunday that I got to catch a pass from Kirk Cousins. So welcome to the bridge. We are glad you guys are here. Um, I do have a little bit of joke. I'm going to tie this in a little bit, but we've been in this series called Our House, which is all about what are the things you do in church? What are the things that, that make our house our house. We've talked about taking ownership. Pastor Riley had an amazing message two weeks ago about like serving and volunteering and what that has. As he alluded to last week, I talked about giving, which was like the most nerve-wracking message I've ever put in my nine years of ministry. And I've never done it before. And it, but it was it was so cool to see how God was kind of working through all of that. And now we're going to end it with what I believe is the groundwork of our house. The thing that I want to make sure our house is through every single season, the, the very groundwork by which we build everything on. And so I want to go back to this verse we've been talking about for the last few weeks. In Acts chapter 2, it says this, they devoted themselves, they being the early church, the, the fresh converts, the new believers, those kind of people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles and all of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. The early church, the people that they're talking about in here were awesome. They had it right. They had the model of church dialed in. They spent time together all of the time. They served each other physically, emotionally. They helped each other financially. All of these things, they just did life together. They were the epitome of life is better together. But they were also in awe of who God was. When they were watching or when they were doing this, they were just, as they would continue to learn and experience God, they were in awe of all that he did. And we see in the very next verse that wasn't on the screen is they were growing. They were growing in number. They were growing in size. But they were also growing in depth. They were understanding who they were. They were understanding who God is. They were understanding themselves. And so while that model wasn't perfect, while the early church wasn't just this picture perfect, everything was great, they had no issues because they had plenty when you read the rest of Acts. But we also look at this and go, man, they did a lot of good things right. And as I studied this passage for the last few weeks, I really kind of asked God to say, God, what is it that you want to show our church? What is it that you have for us right here, right now in 2023? There's something that really stuck out to me that I've just kind of skipped over many, many times in reading this verse, but it's so, so critical. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, eating. That's always a good spiritual discipline. And to prayer, to prayer. They devoted themselves to these things. They committed themselves to it. And when I look at this passage, it's like, okay, yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. But when you really, really dig into this, it's really interesting. Because I wanted to know, like, okay, so devoted. That, that was a word that kind of just stuck out to me when I was preparing. And when I looked at a different translation, I love how they said this. It says, they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. It's like all Minnesota Vikings hopes. We continue in it steadfastly, even though we know it's not going to work out, right? They continued in it steadfastly. But what that tells me is this is something they had did previously, and now they're continuing in it. It's something they did before, but now they're continuing in it with commitment, with intentionality, with diligence. And when you read this verse chunk by chunk, 
you can kind of be like, oh yeah, they did all those good things that a church does. But when they say they continued steadfastly in prayer, this week I just felt like God was saying, this is the anchor. You can miss it. If you just read the whole verse, you're like, oh yeah, that's a good picture of what the early church was. But they devoted themselves to prayer. And we've taken a lot of weeks to break down these different parts, but I want us to look at this part of prayer because they continued in something they did before. But they did that because they had a really good model of someone who went before them. Mark chapter 1. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you. For those of you who are like Pastor Riley and I, um, you probably understand this, but to someone like him and I, we don't. It actually is dark before the sun comes up. It's one of those things where, like, you, if you get up early enough, you actually will beat the sun up, which is a new concept until I had kids. Because frankly, like anything before 8 o'clock, like my brain is just not functioning at all. You can ask my wife. She loves it. She loves that I'm not a morning person. But Jesus, we find right here, he was up early, so early that it was still dark. I can just imagine, and when I look at this, this, this verse, I can just picture this whole thing happening because Jesus gets up super early. It's dark outside. I can imagine him getting up, kind of like tiptoeing through the house. He's got his disciples sleeping in the same house as him. He walks out the door, kind of slowly shuts it behind him. And walks off into the darkness. I can imagine just like the the dew underneath his sandals. Because he didn't have snow or ice, which was really nice. But he's got all these things going on. And he gets alone to a solitary place, it says in Mark chapter 1. And the nerdy, like, Bible college part of me wanted to know, like, what the Greek says in that. Because it's always super, super interesting. But there's a word in here that is become kind of something that's been a focal point for me in the last few weeks. And the word is eremos. When it says Jesus went to a solitary place, that word there is eremos, which means lonely or isolated, which solitary makes a whole lot of sense. But there's another word there, another meaning to this word that brings a whole lot of context to the story. Wilderness. Wilderness. He went to the eremos, a lonely or isolated place slash wilderness. And it encapsulates this idea that Jesus would wake up before anyone else. He would get up and go to a place in the wilderness, away from any other human being, away from any other distraction, away from any other noise that he could be possibly be distracted by. And he would just be there by himself alone with God the Father to pray. He would get up, carve this space, and pray. And this feels, this feels like relatively obvious, right? Like when we think of Jesus, the poster child of faith and all these things, like we look at Jesus and we go, of course he prayed. If, if there's anyone in the world who we can envision praying, it's Jesus. This is not a huge stretch of the imagination. But it's one of those things when I look at the life of Jesus, when you look at all of what he did, all of the life that he lived, he prayed outwardly a lot. As he would pray for somebody, a miracle would happen. As he would pray for somebody, exorcism would happen. As he would pray, cool things would happen outwardly. But when it says he prays here, it's different. 
No one else is hearing him. It's just him and his father in a solitary place where nobody else was around. This was a different kind of prayer. Still prayer, but it is different. He made room for it. He took an intentional design to get away and make time and make space for it. And it's not the only time he did it in Mark chapter 1. Five chapters later in Mark chapter 6, we read this. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd and after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. It's not the time of the day that's important, but rather the significance of what he's doing here. Because I think a lot of us can read this and go, man, I got to get up at four o'clock so I can pray. And I've tried that before and I fall asleep. <laughs> Bad. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't quite get the job done. It's not about taking this to a literal sense and going, I got to get up before the sun's up to pray. And if that works for you, great. But what Jesus is modeling right here is he made space where there was no space. He carved margin of in his life to get alone to pray. And yes, we might think that's just the obligation. That's just what you do when you love God. But there's a distinct reason why, I believe. When you go back to Mark chapter 1, we find that eventually the ragtag group of guys that follow him around wake up probably after the sun comes up, probably with hair all over the place, probably stinky and smelly. And they're like, has anyone seen Jesus around here? See, I can't find him. He's not around. Until finally they discover him, they're looking around, they look everywhere up and down, and then finally they find him. And what's the first thing that Peter says? You just imagine him rolling up into like this serene, like Jesus is overlooking like this nice little canyon, it's quiet. And like most people who are socially aware would be like, oh, let's just leave him be. Not Peter. Peter's like, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. Where have you been? Like just completely interrupts this prayer time with him. But look how he responds. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Jesus spends his time praying, but he gets up from this time of prayer and goes, the real reason I'm here is to tell people about me. Tell people about the freedom and the hope that I bring to fulfill what I have come to do. Now, if we're honest, I think prayer for you and I it just takes on a, a little different of a feel. At least it does to me sometimes. It feels like this sometimes religious task, a way to ask God for something or on behalf of somebody, a way to communicate with God. Like we have these needs or a list of needs. And we go, we just got to pray and ask that God can he- meet those needs and heal these things and do these things. And we pray to him, asking him for them. And that's a very biblical approach. It's literally the purpose of prayer so many times. But at the same time, when I look at this picture of Jesus in the Eremos, it's different. It's a time of intimacy with God. It's a time where he is completely, completely devoted to who God is. And when I look at this, and I've studied this in and out, upwards and downwards, all these different things, This was not a time of a check-in. This was not a time of a business-level assessment where God's saying, all right, Jesus, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go here. I need you to go here. I need you to go here. It was great what you did there. Like, this is not 
God up in heaven as the offensive coordinator and Jesus just carrying out the place he's got for him. This is not that kind of a moment. When these two are together, Jesus and God the Father in the Eremos, it's personal. Personal. You can imagine Jesus telling God the Father how excited he is about what the disciples are doing. Praying for them by name. I can imagine Jesus saying, God, would you help me? I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I need you to help me love people well. Because yes, Jesus was fully God, but he's also fully man. He had skin like you and I have skin. He had flesh, which means he was human. And humans make mistakes. Humans struggle. You can know what the right thing is to do, but sometimes the will to do it is much more difficult. So Jesus is sitting here in this personal time, and he's praying. And prior to going about his day, doing miraculous things, praying for somebody and their eyes being opened, praying for somebody who is deaf and all of a sudden their ears open, exercising demons out of people, praying for people, curing diseases, bringing people back to life, being hated, manipulated, called names. Before all of that happens in a day, we find Jesus is sneaking out to get alone, to be with God the Father, leaving the house at 5 a.m., a solitary place to ask God for guidance, to ask God for the heart, to ask God if he would help him go through what he's going through. Then if I can jump back ahead to Mark chapter 6, you know what the context of that whole story is? The disciples are coming back to Jesus. They had broken up pair by pair. They're going from town to town to town, and they get together, and Jesus is like, hey, tell me everything that happened. I know you're exhausted. It's been a long, long business trip, if you will. You've been around. You've been traveling. You've been teaching. You've been preaching. You've been healing all these different things. Just come. Let's just hang out. Let's breathe. Let's, let's relax. Let's get a bite to eat and just be. And as they do that, they're in the process of going alone just to recharge when an entire group of people sees them and go, it's Jesus and the disciples. We got to go be with them. Let's go hear what they have to say. So the Bible says there was 5,000 men there, 5,000 men, males, which is a biblical way of kind of characterizing numbers, which means there's actually more like 15,000 people. So let's just, let's just picture this, okay? It's been a long week, right? You've been at the office for 60 hours, and like you're just, it's been like one of those weeks. It's just been stressful. You come home to your house being absolutely trashed. Like there's dishes everywhere and, 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 and laundry is piled up super high and the things that you ask your spouse to do um, didn't happen. The males laugh because that's us, right? But all these things happen. It's just been one of those weeks and all you can think about is the good thing is I've got Monday off and the kids are going to be at school my husband or wife is going to be at work. Like we can get the laundry done on Sunday. So Monday, all I have to do is just breathe and relax. And then your kid gets COVID. Sunday night. And you got to keep all three of your kids at home, right? We know this meant, we can understand this mental tax. Like when you are at the end of your rope, all you want to do is just get away. You just want to recharge. You seem to create some distance and space just to breathe and just to be able to do your thing. Well, 
for the disciples and Jesus, that's where they were at when all of a sudden 15,000 people are coming to talk to them. So Jesus, being Jesus, says they, they're like a sheep without a shepherd. I see the needs in them, so I got it. It's exhausted and tired as everybody is. Guys, we got we to we preach. We got to teach. So Jesus does his thing for hours. You guys think our service is long. He went for hours. But for hours, Jesus preached until finally they go, uh, we need to feed these people. And you might have heard this miraculous story where they take two loaves or five loaves and two fish and Jesus prays and feeds 15,000 people. It's a great miracle. But can you imagine doing all of that while you're exhausted? So then Jesus sends them across the lake and that's where we read in Mark chapter six that he sent the disciples across the lake. He dismissed the people and where does he go? the Eremos, the wilderness, to pray. You know what that tells me? When I studied this, this was not an obligation for Jesus. This was not something where he was feeling the pressure to do this. He went to the Eremos because that time with God alone was life-giving to him. It was something that filled his cup. It was something where he was at the end of his rope. When he could just be alone with God the Father, it just breathed life into his soul. To be alone, to be raw, to be honest, a place where he could request and ask God of things, yes, but he could also relent and vent. A place where he could celebrate the cool thing that just happened, but he could also just ask God for rejuvenation. He could be personal. It was life-giving to him. My wife and I, when we moved here, uh, we had an apartment in Ramsey, actually. And there was this balcony that we had off of our apartment, which was quite the sightseeing. We saw some very interesting things, um, especially because we were across the street from the dog park. So you would see, like, a variety of things. You'd see the, the dogs that were just, like, machines and robots. And then you'd see the dogs where they weren't machines and robots. And they were running all over the place, and it was super loud and obnoxious. But every once in a while, there would be these moments, usually in these seasons of busyness and chaos, when my wife and I would just grab a glass of water, a cup of coffee, and go out to the balcony at night and watch the sunset come down, because there were some amazing sunsets there. And it was a place where our phones stayed inside, and we just hung out on the balcony and just talked. Sometimes it was about superficial, superfluous, just really random things. But other times, it was a check-in of like, what's on your heart? How's work going? What's stressing you out? And every single time that I walked off that balcony back into our apartment, I felt so much better. Because it felt like I took this cup of life that was so full of busyness and chaos and stress and worries and everything. And it just felt like, my wife and I got to just go and just dump it. And we walked back into our apartment. We had two empty cups again. And it was personal. It was real. And I thought about that, that this week because the reality is like, when I look at Jesus, that was what the Eremos was for him. That was a place where he could pray and ask God for things. But this was a time where he could truly be with God the Father. And just get recharged. See, a lot of times we talk about prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Prayer changes things, and it does. 
But when I look at the life of Jesus, I also see that prayer is personal. Prayer is very personal. Because here's the reality. God knows you better than you know you. God knows what you need before you even need it. God knows what's before you and what's behind you. He knows what your past has brought you through. He knows what your life has looked like. But guess what? He also knows what lies ahead of you. God knows what, who you are and what your life looks like. He knows what, the, what dreams are burning your belly at night, what you can't wait, the things you're excited about, the things that drive you. And he also knows the things that keep you up at night because you're worried and stressed. He knows the things that you can't possibly get over because you're worried about this, you're worried about that. There's a part of you that's been ripped apart and you don't know what it looks like. He knows you on a very, very, very personal level. So personal that there's not a single person on this planet that knows you better than he does. So when you go to pray, you're not going to converse with a stranger. You're going to converse with somebody who knows you better than you know yourself. Prayer is personal, and that's what it's meant to be. When I talk about prayer, the reason I bring up Kirk Cousins is it's one of those things I felt like I knew a bunch about Kirk Cousins. I had three different fantasy leagues. I felt like I knew way too much about NFL players. To the point where I walked into U.S. Bank Stadium and saw Kirk across the field, I knew who he was. But when I got up to converse with him in person, I was more awkward than a middle school boy to dance. Hey, hey, can I get a picture? Sure. Can you throw me a pass, Kirk? Didn't sound much different than that, I'm going to be honest. But you get my point. Like, it, it was one of those things, I was so familiar with Kirk Cousins, I was so familiar with it, but when it came time for me to actually dialogue with the man, I turned into a puddle of nerves. I feel like prayer is the same way. We talk about it. We pray here at church. We do all these things. But when it comes to actually sitting down and praying on our own, it's a whole different level of intimidation. It's a whole different level of awkwardness. And so the reality is we don't always do it. Or if you're in this place and you pray all the time, here's another situation that happens a lot too. When you're going through something difficult and challenging, and stressful. The first thing we should be running to is prayer, right? That's what we should be doing. But I don't know if I'm the only one in this room who does this, but a lot of times um, I run the opposite direction. Because work, or because life, or because family, or whatever you put in there is so stressful, we just want to get away from the emotion. Whether you bury yourself in Netflix, or whether you bury yourself in something else, Not that any of those things are bad, but the very place where we can find solutions is the very place that we try to run from. And why is that? I think it's because prayer is personal. Because you know when you pray to God, it's personal. And if you were really honest with yourself, I think there are times we don't want to pray to God because we got some emotion for God, some frustration some anger, some things that we can't process on our own. So we think that when we go to God, we have to be this perfect, manicure little Christian going, all right, God, you're good. Would you help me here? When I look at the Eremos, it doesn't look that way. In verse 37, Peter yells, Jesus, everyone's looking for you as if he didn't understand that he was needed. 
But at the time, they didn't understand that this was the, the foundation for Jesus. In Mark chapter 1, when this happened in the air most for the first time, Jesus had just selected his disciples. More or less to them, they were a stranger. Yet we find him by himself in the Eremos. And here's what I can tell you, everybody. When you get personal, prayers get powerful. We talk about the power of prayer, but I think prayer gets powerful when you're personal with it. Jesus over and over and over and over and over did this where he got alone. We see it in Mark chapter 1. We see it in Mark chapter 6. Look what Luke describes it as in Luke chapter 5. It says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Often. This is not just a one and done thing. He was always going there time in and time out. So much so that in Luke chapter 11, check out what this says. The disciples started to catch on to this. And they said, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, the Eremos, when he finished One of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. The disciples saw Jesus getting away. They saw the need for it, but they also saw what would happen when he'd come out of this time of prayer. And they noticed. They go, I want that too, Jesus. Teach us how you pray. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us on to temptation. I grew up in a traditional church setting. I could say this in my sleep, right? This is something you learn in a traditional setting. So much so that you literally could say it without even thinking about it, even if you haven't said it in 10 years. Yet, that's all Jesus says to pray. And here's what I want to show you here. After he gets done with that, here's the perspective Jesus has on prayer. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Prayer is powerful. It really is. And if you've grown up in a setting where you've never prayed before, you grew up in a church setting where prayer is not something that you're familiar with, even if you did, but prayer is just not your jam, I understand. Because frankly, I'm with you. I grew up in a traditional setting. Like I said, our Father out in heaven, hallowed be the name, the kingdom come, and will be done. I can literally say it 10 times fast. I've been taught it so many times. But they taught me the what, not the why. My whole life growing up, I was just taught, you, you just pray because that's what you need to do. If you're going through some tough stuff, you just got to pray. You just got to pray. You got to pray. You got to pray. That's what I was taught. But I was never told the why of why prayer is so significant. I was never taught why when you ask God for something, why we can expect him to answer us. I understand the whole concept of he's almighty, he's big, he's powerful. That's great. But the why is that he cares about us and wants what's best for us. So when we pray, what we're actually doing is we are aligning ourselves with who God is. Why do we pray? Because it's personal and it's powerful. 
Jesus prayed. The disciples prayed. The early church, they devoted themselves to prayer. They continued in it steadfastly. Why? Because that's what Christians do. What parents do is change nasty diapers. Does that mean they enjoy it? No. It's what you do. But I think prayer is meant to be something more than an obligation. I believe prayer is supposed to be something that changes us from the inside out. Prayer is meant to be something that is life-giving to your soul. And I know that to be true when I look at the life of Jesus because it wasn't convenient, it wasn't easy, it wasn't something where it was just flippant decision to pray when he was going through something. Jesus carved out margin in his life to pray. When things were going great, he prayed. When things were going not so great, he prayed. When nothing else was going on, he prayed. Prayer was not a response to a bad situation. Prayer was a way of life for Jesus. It was something he did intentionally, regardless of what was happening else around him. And the best part is he shows us how to do it. He literally said, here's how you pray. I love that the disciples were so raw. and like, hey, Jesus, we don't know how to pray. Could you teach us? And he doesn't respond with guilt. He doesn't respond with condemnation. He says, yeah, here's how I pray. And he lays it out verse by verse by verse. And I'm going to be super, super transparent with everyone in this room. Since I've been a Christian, prayer has been something that I've been in stages where it feels awkward or it feels easy. And it's kind of back and forth, back and forth. But can I tell you something that God's taught me in the last couple of years that has changed the way that I look at prayer? It might be the traditional way to do it, but it's amazing when you look at this Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, it truly is such a good framework. Just this week, I was driving, I got a 22-minute drive from doorstep to doorstep. 21 if I'm really in a hurry, 23 if I just need some extra time. But there are times I'm driving, and a lot of times that's my way to connect with the Lord. Because I don't know if anyone else in here has young kids or you remember this young kid stage of life, but when I walk through the door and it's two crazy kids, I get to the end of bedtime and it's like, and so it's hard to sit down for hours and go, okay, I'm going to spend time with the Lord. But it's amazing how when I've got my Eremos, which I call my F-150, a lonely place, It's amazing to me what God has spoken. And and I don't mean audibly, but I just mean like this feeling, deep-seated feeling I have when there's worship music on in my truck. It's amazing how I can be driving down the road thinking about duck hunting, and all of a sudden one person that I haven't thought about in a long time comes to my brain. And in that moment, it's Jesus. I don't know what this person's going through. I don't know what's happening. Would you please just be with them? Do you know how many times, I can't, I literally can't number them, the amount of times, because usually I'll say, hey, I'll text them when I get home, okay, not texting and driving, I'm a rule follower for the most part, hey, I'm praying for you. I can't tell you the amount of times someone responds back and says, thank you, because right now what's happening is a really tough moment, so thank you for praying for me. That's not me. That's the fact that God knows you so well and he cares about you so much and he's going, hey, Pastor Derek, this person needs prayer. 
So would you pray for them, reach out to them so that they know I see them, I hear them, I'm with them? Because sometimes in the chaos of life, in the business of life, we can't hear God. We can't sense God because life is so intense. But that's why the Eremos is so critical. It's why getting alone with God is so, so critical because the power of your prayer is not in your push, it's in your position. The power of your prayer is in going, you know what? God, you've got this. You're with it, God. So I'm here to say, when we expect God to move and we're willing to follow his lead, something happens. Something powerful begins to move in us. When we stop trying to manicure prayer, we can be real. We can be honest. It might even feel awkward at first, but it's worth it. When you're just real with God, and you ask him to move, things begin to move. So my prayer is that our house, the bridge, would be a house that prays. It'd be a house that prays for each other, a house that prays for our community, a house that wants what God wants. It's not a religious thing. It's not a thing you have to do. It's more so just when you are willing to ask God for something, you begin to change. And what I've noticed in my life so much is that so many times I go to prayer asking God for something. God, would you take this thing out of my life? Would you put this thing in my life? God, there's a very specific need I want. Would you give me this? And before he has a chance to even answer that prayer, a lot of times he fulfills the need in a way I didn't understand. God, I'm going through a tough financial crisis. Would you please just make this car bill not be as expensive? Would you make this thing just not be as intense? Would you please just provide money? And he has. But there are also times as I'm waiting for the miracle to happen, the very thing I'm wanting is security. To know it's going to be okay. And in that time of prayer is one of those situations where I have this feeling and knowing that God's got me. So before the miracle even happens, prayer already met it. Just being in the presence of God has already met the need that I'm looking for. So here's what I would ask of our church as we get ready for two services. As we get ready to this new season that Pastor Riley was talking about, the, the need for prayer has never been more. The need for us to ask God what he'd have us do has never been more greater. Because we need him. We need him to direct us and guide us. We need him to answer the things in our life that we are asking him for. But at the same time, we also need to be praying for each other. It's amazing what happens when you know someone's praying for you. There's a camaraderie there that changes the culture. This week, I was incredibly humbled and incredibly moved. My Bible had been somewhere sitting in the church. To this day, I have no idea where it is. I have to go find my Bible somewhere. But one of my Bibles that I got when I graduated high school, I've been using it to study out of. And my wife was looking at it this week. She found something I forgot was in there. She opened up the front cover of it, and it was a note that my youth pastor had written me back in 2013. 
just letting them know we're praying for you that you would just do and follow whatever God's call in your life is. They were praying for me. They were praying that I would follow what God's calling me to do. They were praying for me as I was going to NDSU studying chemistry and going to be a dentist. And they were praying just that I would follow God's will in my life, knowing full well I didn't know what that was looking like. But it looks, it just goes to show the power of prayer. We don't always see the, the, the far side of it. When we're praying for something, we don't always know how it's going to work out, but God does. So when we pray, it just opens up what God's doing in our life and beyond. So I know very well that there are a lot of needs in this room. I know there are things that you walked in for your family, things in your finances, things in your in your body, things in the body of someone you care about and love about, some very, very real needs. And I'm clinging on to this promise that God says, ask and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. I don't know how God's going to answer. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what the ins and the outs, but I do know that when we take time to pray, things begin to shift. And so I would ask of our church that as we go into this new season, that we push through the awkwardness of prayer and just be real. For you, maybe it is when you're driving down the road and you're by yourself. Ask God what you would ask anybody else. God, would you help me with this? Jesus, would you please just help me with what's, uh, what's going on? You don't have to manicure it. You don't have to use holy language. I don't. I've tripped, told Jesus before, hey God, this sucks. Because it's personal. So get personal with God and get ready for what's going to happen. Because prayer is personal, but it's powerful. Would you do me a favor? For the next four weeks, would you would you commit to praying for our house? Would you commit to praying for the people that are yet in our community that have not walked through our doors, that have yet to experience Jesus? Would you pray for them? And if you want to take it another step further, bring them with you. Pick a service and for four weeks pray for people that you want to see come with you. Could be a coworker, could be a neighbor, could be a family member. Pray for them, ask them, and bring them. So I believe God's going to begin to move. And it's going to be really, really good. Would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your intentionality. Lord, I thank you that you know us better than anybody else. You know what we need before we need it. So God, I know that prayer is one of those things that for some of us feels a little awkward and disjointed. But God, would you help us to understand that it's not about saying the right words, it's about just speaking from the heart. It's about just saying what we need and how we want you to move and God, what we would follow you with. So Jesus... I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your love. God, would you help us today? Would you move in us in a new way? Lord, you are faithful. You are good. Would you go before us today and help us in the very things that we need? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe that there are going to be some things that you look back on from now on that are healed and moved. 
if we're willing to pray. We've got some praise today as we get out of this place. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.